Hola. Hola. Bienvenidos a Conversaciones con Colegas. Colegas. I'm Lucero. And I'm Maggie. And we are Latin Exchange, a bilingual education community. All right, we are back with another episode of Conversaciones con Colegas, season three. And today we have another special guest, Elizabeth Ramos. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you grew up, a little bit of your background? Sure. So uh, my name is Elizabeth Ramos. My close friends call me Ellie. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I lived there up until the age of 28. And then I moved to Polk County, uh, Florida. I currently hold the position of an English language arts teacher. I have two beautiful adult boys. Um, and I enjoy my chickens, uh, the sun. I love to read. I love the arts and I'm a very communal person. So I'm always up and about doing something to um, help my community and to keep the culture alive. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, do you want to talk about a little bit of your schooling as you were growing up? What was school like for you? when you lived in New York? So school for me uh, was um, very different than what school is now. I grew up in a Catholic environment. Uh, I went to Catholic school my whole life, uh, even up until high school. And uh, there was, um, I wouldn't say segregation, but it was definitely something that was very communal. So everybody basically in the school that I attended came from um, descendants of the Dominican Republic. Uh, we spoke Spanish and um, there was just a environment that was just shared amongst us. Um, even when I went to high school, even though I traveled, uh, we still kept uh, that same lineage of, of cultural um, you know, influence in, in our lives. Um, but I will say that growing up in New York City, you do get a lot of, um, you do get a lot of acknowledgement of who you are, but you also get a lot of awareness of other cultures around you. So uh, that was very interesting when I went to high school, when you get on a, when you go to high school in New York, you get on a train or on a bus and you literally leave your county and travel. So there was a lot of exposure to a lot of different people and a lot of different ethnic backgrounds. Um, and that definitely made me aware of the fact that um, I live in a big world, even though at the time my world seemed very small. <laughs> Do you feel like it was culture shock at all going from your the small communal school to a big high school? Absolutely. I think um, when we're when we're younger, our parents teach us and protect us and keep us in a smaller bubble, especially um, in the Latin community. We're taught things, you know, the way that our parents learn them. And then you go out and step into this world and things are different. And I think it's an advantage to be exposed to so much variety. Um, but it's also important that we learn as children to be uh, socially acceptable to other cultures. So it's important to keep our pride, but it's also important to be aware of the fact that people may do things differently or have different beliefs um, and we shouldn't um, judge them or stereotype them because of that. So I'm glad that my parents ingrained in me also the fact like we're different, but we're all human. You know, and we all have the same, very same right to live and exist and breathe even in the same world, even under the same, you know, the same building or, or the world around us. So that was important. And I'm sure that's something that you definitely share now that you are an educator yourself and 
um, a parent as well, right? I was reading that you, I'm sure you, you share that same knowledge and that same ideal to um, your students and your kids. But how did you know that you wanted to become a teacher? Where in that process did you say, this is, this is for me? Actually, I've always wanted to become a teacher. I just never had the guts to do it. I'll be honest. <laughs> I always thought that I wasn't, um, I didn't have the right personality for it or that the delivery of the information wasn't going to be what the children needed. I was under the misconception that I needed to have a certain academic level, which there are some requirements to teach um, and, some, and a certain type of um, just person mm -hmm. to be able to teach. Uh, it wasn't until I, I started working for the city that I live in now and I did uh, community outreach and I still volunteer for them as well. And I realized that I could be doing this in an environment where I'm catching the issues and making the changes earlier. So um, I, I felt like I was being retroactive um, and I was just trying to assist once, you know, once everything was up in the air or we were trying to put out fires in the community. I was like, well, what if I just start with in the classroom and educating the kids on the importance of, you know, success and whatever that may look for them, right? And, um, and then um, having them apply that in their life. So I might not see the result right now, but absolutely we'll be able to see that result in the future, which, you know, five, 10, even 20 years from now. And that's when I started the idea of doing that. And then my, my advisors, my, my two sons, <laughs> I said, well, what do you guys think? And they were like, that's going to be an easy one for you. They're like, the kids are really going to connect with you. Um, I had my kids as a teen mom, so I had to learn with them. But that really helps me in the classroom because now I, I, I speak their language to some degree. So that was what made me decide like, okay, I can, I can definitely take this leap of faith and do this. And here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm glad that you didn't give up and you <clears throat> decided to go for what you always wanted to do. And it's very interesting to hear that you always envision a teacher being like this, almost like cookie cutter, right? Like it's only yes, this kind absolutely. of person that's a teacher. <laughs> and I think once we get into the field, we realize that the opposite is true, right? We need more people that can connect to the students that can um, relate to their lived experiences that can speak their language. And that's why we as Latin Exchange want to be here, right? We want to be available to ensure that teachers like us continue to be in the field and um, continue to be able to support students that look like us, that speak like us. Right. And um, <laughs> so re really, really glad that we have an educator like you in the field. Um, but what have you noticed that has been the the biggest advantage of being able to relate to the students? Like what, what do you see on the day-to-day -day that perhaps if you, you know, didn't relate to them, if you weren't, if you didn't speak their language, if you didn't look like them, perhaps that couldn't happen. I think the, the biggest disadvantage and a lot of that I blame on uh, technology and society today is that it's the perception that the students have of how they should be versus who, mm -hmm. to who they are and just the self-love that they're lacking. I, I know growing up um, as a child, like I knew my place. I couldn't just tell my mother or my father, well, this is what I want to do. Um, but definitely I knew that there were things that I could do, you know, because it was just ingrained in me. Like you're going to go work hard you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. You're going to, failure was not an option. 
And I think now children struggle with understanding that level of self-love. Like I love myself enough to be able to do this. And, and I can't do what the person on TikTok is doing or the person in Instagram is doing. I could still have fun with that. I could still mimic certain things. Our behaviors could be similar, whether it be because of the growth pattern that we have or the environment that we're growing up in, but they don't have that self-identity. And I think um, as um, Latinos, especially, you you know, there, there's a negative connotation of like who we are. There's, there's always a label place. It's like a label for everything. And, and, and I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you're not in Walmart, you know, picking a product off a shelf. You are selecting your beliefs, your choices, um, what you want to identify as, whatever that realm it is that we're talking about. And, you know, who are you? Like, if I was to go, if you want to see yourself as a product that you're putting out there, um, how are you making yourself the most you know, viable product for me, you know, like what, what do you have to offer? And it can't just be the way you look on the outside. It has to be how you sound when you, when you speak, like when you open your mouth, my running joke to them always is, you know, I, I'm going to get you a high school diploma. We're going to get a high school diploma out of this. And I'm going to make sure that you don't sound like you're from an episode of love and hip hop. That is my absolute joke to them, you know, and it's, it's just letting them know, like, you deserve this. I'm mm -hmm. here for you. And I tell them all the time, like you deserve this. And I don't see that in a lot of my kids, um, whether it be because of the world that they are um, going home to, you know, the situation they're going home to, uh, or it's what they're being influenced by in school or just, you know, social media in general. Right now we're working on a debate whether, um, you know, modern social media makes people less social or not. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, well, what does modern social media mean to you? I mean, to me, you know, modern social media is, is reading Yahoo News, but to them it's a TikTok every, you know, every yeah. five minutes, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so for me, it's definitely um, the self-love, the lack of self-love that I see. <laughs> And I think social media definitely has such a big play because my, my colleague and I were just talking about this. Um, we're teaching a generation that can learn anything online, right? right? And it's now at this point, we have to teach them how to be humans, mm -hmm. how to be social, because they don't learn that online. You don't no. learn how to interact with someone face-to-face -face online. You don't learn that self-love and the social emotional awareness online. You can learn anything, but so we have to shift our education to fit this need. And uh, it, by the sounds of it, I'm sure you're doing an amazing job bringing that into the classroom along with, you know, the day-to-day -day curriculum and the content that we're supposed to teach. But I always, I, I tell everybody, like when I go into that classroom, of course I want them to leave learning something. But above all, you know, I want them to learn that they're humans. And then when they leave the classroom, they have to continue being humans. They have to interact with other people. They have to know how to cope with emotions and how to communicate. There's like so many little things that social media just can't teach them. And I feel like that's where education should be going. But laws and policies make it feel like we're going in the opposite direction. And then I floor, I know Florida is one of the states that's very controversial in regards to policy as well. Do you want to talk about how that's affected your school, maybe your students, like what, 
what's going on in, in Florida? Well, I mean, there are definitely some uh, political issues and some concerns, especially with the laws that are being passed. And um, we have to be really careful as, as educators what we say, because anything that we say can go from from like this small to like this, like, well, my teacher said, and the next thing you know, you know, you're in a compromising situation. But I think for me, more than anything, is just, uh, first of all, teaching them how to communicate. So for example, with the um, don't say gay, uh, you know, law, which it, it was a matter of literally pulling the law from online and reading the law and getting them to understand what it is that you are representing. That's the very first thing. Like, what, is, what are you interpreting versus what it is? Um, mm -hmm. Now that we have a level of comprehension, then how are you responding to that? Um, are, you, are you standing up for what you believe in because you feel that this is unjust or are you just doing it because everybody else is doing it? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then when you're doing it, how you're doing it, what is the next level? It's not enough to just stand there in front of the school and put your fist up and, and you know, put up a sign. What else are you doing? Because that is going to have an impact, but that is not going to change law. So how do we get to the point where we're like, we're not going to accept a behavior or we're not going to accept a certain um, movement to happen without us being the ones that move, you know, and, and there's power in numbers, even, even when, we, and I tell them all the time in my class, like we have a, a democratic environment. We vote on a lot of issues. Sometimes I'm like, mm, I don't know if I should do this because I'm the teacher and I should make the final call. But at the end of the day, for me, it's important for them to understand that they have a voice and that they have the right to be able to express what they have to say. So we always have that um, opportunity to discuss it. And even when I make a decision on something, I, I let them ask me, why is this being done? And I will explain, you know? So I think that when it comes to issues um, specifically in Florida, I think that because there are so many um, Latinos here and there are so many people of different diverse backgrounds, we definitely should vote on certain issues that we have mm -hmm. when it comes to like immigration and, um, and law. When it comes to um, the LGBTQ community, like I think we definitely have a significant amount of people. So it's a matter of teaching them how to communicate and how to express how they're feeling. And, and I listen. I mean, there are times I'm a mandated reporter. So of course, if someone comes to me with an issue, I have to report it. But sometimes they're just talking to me about things that even if in my mind, you know, I'm like, this is not something that is going to be the end all and be all, I'm still going to listen. You know, because they need to know that they they have a place to be able to speak and talk and communicate so they can have that confidence to actually stand up and say, we're not going to tolerate this or we're not going to allow this or I'm going to vote on this topic because it's important, you know, mm -hmm. and I tell them if you don't vote, you can't complain. You know, you can't complain because you're not making an impact. All you're doing is just sitting there and being a negative Nancy. No offense to anybody named Nancy, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's what I tell them. And I, and I, and I tell them, let's vote on something. Let's talk about this. And, and even things that are not related to our state, for example, a, a student came up with the unfortunate incident of what happened in Buffalo and, you know, and they wanted to talk about it. And again, the fine line, like of what I can say or can't say, but it's like, how do you feel about that? Just so you know, you know, like Latinos are like, you know, they're going to be the number one race in a couple of years. Like we're not mm -hmm. talking about like now this is happening right now. So how do you feel about that? Are you prepared for that? You know, are you prepared how that's going to affect you in a negative or a positive way? And, and just having those open conversations and that allows them to see that 
even though this is not a social platform, it is definitely a platform where your voice can be heard. And that really also helps alleviate um, the use and abuse of social media, you know, that that is happening right now. So hopefully, you know, they'll take it with them wherever they go. And I know because you educate high schoolers, they are approaching that age where they can vote. And I know when I was growing up, that wasn't really a topic that was like, we talked about policy and we talked about government, but it wasn't really about how to form your opinions in regards to politicians, how to know which politician you side with and how the laws that you are voting on affect not just you, but everybody around you and as a whole. And I feel like that's something that's definitely should be in schools because sometimes we, you know, we leave high school, we go register to vote and then we we're like, wait, what, what happens now? Like, how do I know who to vote for? And um, I think bringing in those real life experiences and the fact that you even read through the law with your students, right. And like broke it down is something that is eventually going to prepare them for real life. And when they're choosing their own policies and their own politicians. So that's definitely amazing that you're you're bringing in those experiences that we wish we we had growing up. I'm, I'm sure that um, not every teacher is doing this, but it's those little changes that we can do in our own classrooms that will make the bigger impact in the long run. Um, Absolutely. I I, um, I tell them all the time, like I tell them my mom voted for Obama, like a lot of people because he was an African-American. Like, you know, my aunt voted for Biden because Kamala was a woman. And I'm like, no, that's not why we're doing this. So even in local government, I tell them, if you have an issue with something in the school system, if you don't agree, if you don't agree with the FSA or with the changing of, um, you know, testing the way it is, write to your local commissioners. You know, they Mm -hmm. need to know. And you don't have to wait until you um, are ready to vote in order for you to state your opinion. You can write to your local commissioners. You can write to your local senators. And um, actually, last Friday, we had SGA um, voting, which is for student government. And I had Mm -hmm. some kids that were like, can you put this in my classroom, their posters? And I was like, well, why do you want them to vote for you? So I would I stopped instruction and I said, okay, tell them why you want them to vote for you. What are you going to do for the for these kids? Are you it's not just about having a cute poster, like tell me what you're gonna do for me, you know, and it can be it cannot just be vending machines. Like it needs to be more than that, you know? So that allows them to have that um, level of comfort from both ends, you know, whether you're running for any type of governmental position or just to be able to speak your mind. So that for me, that's crucial, especially as Latinos, we have such a powerful number of people and so many people that are talented. And I think that we have been taught traditionally that we just sit in a corner and just kind of like, just wait to see what happens. And we, we can't, we have too much fire in us, you know, to allow that to happen. We definitely need to be able to speak how we feel. That was our very first episode, actually. Calladita, te ves más bonita, which is like an iconic saying that we hear always mm-hmm. growing up, you know, like don't join, don't join the adult conversation. Like don't say anything, stay, you know, stay in your corner and, and be quiet. And recently, you know, I've, I've felt the, not the need, but like the, the confidence to finally talk to my parents and actually respond back. Cause before, you know, they would throw their opinions at me and I'd just be like, Oh, I can't disagree. I can't say anything. And 
just recently, you know, I started fighting back and some of the controversial topics, you know, a lot of them were LGBTQ related religion, even, you know, me uh, growing up Catholic and now not really sure what my spirituality looks like, you know, a a lot of those topics is almost like offending to my parents. It's, It's offensive. So finally getting the nerve to talk back. And I realized that I'm allowing that for my students too. Like a, a lot of them will, you know, sit there and well, why and why and why? Mm-hmm. And they're always not fighting back, but they're always questioning everything. And sometimes it gets so overwhelming that I'm like, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but I never <laughs> want to like shut it down. <laughs> I teach second grade. So they're like, why, uh... why, why, why? Um, but I, I, and I come home and I always have something to tell my husband. And I'm like, today this happened. Today we talked about this. And I tell him like, I don't want to shut it down because I don't want them to feel like there's shame in their questions or there's shame in their curiosity. Because that's literally the mentality that they should have for the rest of their lives, right? You need to question everything. But also like, I, I can do that much in my own classroom, but who knows what's happening when they go home, Right when they're going to go into other classrooms, what's that going to look like? And I think, like you said, there's power in numbers. And as an educational community, we need to come together and start making those shifts to create a generation of people who are going to be questioning and curious and who are going to be willing to fight for their opinions and for their, their needs as a enter adulthood because at the end of the day they're going to be the generation that's going to control the world at some point right like we're absolutely they'll be taking care of us right (laughs) (laughs) their their decisions and their laws are going to affect us at some point so yes yeah I had to come in and, and jump into something just because I think that that is definitely like one of the highlight quotes Ellie for for this episode is we have too much fire within us Mm -hmm. and so that has been what I see as the biggest shift in the demographic of educators that we have right now Mm -hmm. is that even us as educators we have too much fire within us so we were educated by a system that was the status quo that was not meant to improve us as a people right? It, it was public education just as the bare minimum of how we are keeping the same systems and structures of oppression in place, but in a legal way, right? Mm-hmm. Compliance. That was the name of the game in our education system. It mm-hmm. was still very segregated. It is still very segregated right now. Mm-hmm. We live in Chicago where it's a very segregated city, even though it's a very rich, diverse city. And it's reflective in our education system as well, uh, because we have very great, amazing um, high schools that are, you know, top tier, but only a certain amount and certain demographic of students qualify because there's entrance exams, because there's, you know, Mm -hmm. academic requirements, which all, I mean, you know, there's a a rhyme to a reason for why things are there. But at the end of the day, it actually creates more barriers for students to have access, right, to high quality, academically rigorous education. And I'm doing that with my fingers. I have to let our (laughs) listeners know, too, because we have 
to understand that academics, yes, it's one of the focus, you know, uh, of us as educators, how Lucero was saying, you know, we want all of our students to have that knowledge, that content knowledge when they walk out of our classrooms. But it's a lot more education was meant to be the vehicle through which cultural, you know, culture was passed on to generations and how we prepared future generations to lead, right? Critical thinking, all of these things that can be, you know, uh, expressed and practiced and also passed on in our classrooms. That's the reason why we see so much teacher burnout and so many teachers leaving because we are told, you know, by a system, no, this is your curriculum. These are your standards. This is what you're teaching. And that's the end all be all, you know, and we don't have that many freedoms, right, as teachers, because we are entering a system that educated us and many times we didn't feel like we had the capacity or the backup even really to stand up and say no this is this isn't right no this this isn't working and now with more and more educators coming in and also with the pandemic that we went through that we're kind of like being pushed back into the same system we're saying like nope like, no, you know, there's exactly. too much fire within us. Yeah. Like there is too much fire within us to go back into a broken system that we know is only going to yield the same broken results. And we're tired of it. And our kids deserve better. And we deserve better as professionals. And we're not going to just sit back, you know, and fulfill the same roles that we had before. I, I love how you express that to your students of saying, you know, it, it's not just the physical features. It's not just, you know, your brand identity. It's when you open your mouth, what do you have to say, right? right. It's not just being part of the angry mob with your fist up in the air. It's what are, what is the message and how are you fighting for what you believe in, right? So I think that's very powerful and I'm, I'm very humbled to know you, you know, and have you be a part of the podcast and our new growing community with Latin Exchange and just to continue to see you grow as an educator, as a leader, and then also as, you know, as the, the one that's planting those seeds in the future generations. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you both and the organization and I'm glad to be here. And um, one of the things that I always tell my kids is just be present. You know, it's not enough for you to stand in a room and say, I was there. You, you have to be present. But I can't tell a student that if I'm not the same way. And I just try to be present. Uh, I think we have a lot of growing to do. I think we have a lot of work ahead of us. But just being present could be the difference between, you know, a child saying, uh, you know, what I'm going to take this one day at a time, or in some unfortunate cases, a child saying, I don't want to be here anymore. And I don't want to be here anymore can be a lot of different things, right? So for me, it's just doing what I can do to be able to touch that life and, and say, you know what, this is an opportunity. This is not just a student. This is not, you know, just... Uh, a kid in my class, you know, this, this is an opportunity for me in my own personal development uh, to make a change in the world and to give back, uh, you know, to, to whatever it is that put me here. You know, I, I don't, I definitely don't make it religious, but I make it spiritual. And I tell them we're not here by coincidence. So, so that's my way of giving back. When I was an undergrad, we always talked about these teachable moments 
And I always thought that meant like academics. And now that I'm in the field, (laughs) right? Like when you're in, in school, it's all like pushing content, pushing content. And now that I'm in the field, there's teachable moments, like every second of every day. There are so many things that we could, so many incidents that happen that we can use to expand students' minds, to expand their way of thinking. And like in second grade, a lot of it is the drama, right? The the little kids solving their issues. And they're still in the age where they're stuck in their own bubble and only seeing things from their point of view and trying to expand their thinking of like, but how does the other person feel? What, what signs are they showing that tell you how they're feeling too, right? Like, how can we fix this together? How can we communicate? And um, I think the biggest thing that I've used as a teachable moment that I had to learn myself was the uh, process of apologizing because we've been indoctrinated to say it's okay. (laughs) And someone says, I'm sorry, it's okay. And it's okay. And I first had to learn, right? Like, it's not okay. You're giving them the ability to do it again. But then also like, what do you say instead? And teaching that to my students was like, it's not okay. Right. I forgive you. It's not okay. And don't do it again. And it's like every other learning opportunity. It's a process and there's a lot of repetition. And every time that there was a conflict, I would always try and repeat it. And then one day, I just overheard one of my students say, I forgive you, but never, ever, ever, ever do that again, all on her own. (laughs) And it's like, those are the teachable moments, right? It's like those little things that truly make an impact. And oh, I get like chills. It's so (laughs) I know I get emotional. I yeah. Yeah. To me, I feel like I want, I want to be the hub you know, and actually we are already the hub. I mean, I, I am from, I'm a little older than you. I'm not going to date myself, but there's been a generation between me and these kids. So, but, um, our generation, when I grew up, it was just like, do what you're told. There are no questions. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about the things that are at home. You never, never talk about the issues at home. You never talk about, you know, what your parents are doing or what you're going through. Um, I kept a journal that I had to keep changing places where I put it because my older sister would take it and bribe me and tell my parents. And, you know, it was that was like my my challenges growing up. Um, The generation after me is, you know, American born. So they're a little bit more liberal than than, and have more liberties than I surely had. Um, And. they're a little bit more open-minded in the way that they parent, right? So now I have the product of that, right? So I have to learn that my way and the way that they're being raised can sometimes be slightly different. But the message, the end-all message still needs to be, you know, how do we improve? You know, um, so yeah, the way that I grew up was very punitive, or to some people it may have been. To my parents, it was, you know, building character. It was a norm, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, um, but there was nothing worth it. It worked at the time, you know what I mean? Now, yeah. it may not necessarily work, but I need to be understanding of what they're going through. So I had to learn too. I had to learn, I had to learn how to speak their language 
And I had to learn that sometimes, you know, I make mistakes too, or maybe I'm sometimes I'm too traditional and I need to be a little bit more open-minded. But what I realized in this job is that I am now the hub. I am the person, I am the information center. I am the know, you know, I know everything. I have all the answers. I I have to be able to listen and hear everything they have to say without forming my own opinion, even though my eyebrows may go two separate directions, (laughs) you know, like I am the hub because at home, the situation is not what it used to look like when it was for me. You know, mm-hmm. and regardless of their uh, demographics or their social status, um, you know, they are, there are some kids that, you know, they, they may live with both parents, but their parents aren't always home or their parents, you know, behave a lot like them. Or, you know, um, maybe it's a blended family, but that doesn't mean that people are present. You know, you have two sets of parents, but they're not always there. Or some people are, uh, some kids are being raised by, you know, by grandparents or whatever the situation may be, you mm-hmm. know. So I became the hub. Nobody told me I was the hub. Definitely when I took this job, I didn't know that. So I have had to do a lot of um, learning myself, you know, a lot of grooming and a lot of um, just self-reflection, you know, and say, what am I telling these kids? I'm careful to what they say, but I'm also transparent, you know, and I I listen to what they have to say because anything can come out of their mouths at any moment. And I have to be prepared to do that. I have to be prepared to respond. Um, and we still we still provide instruction like the state wants us to do. We still you know teach to the standard and do all of that. We, there's a lot of that. Um, but most of the time, we are just looking for ways to connect with them, you know, and, and get them to understand where we're at and build that level of trust. So I'm with you, you know, I, I, and, I, and I see it in them also. I, I hear the way they speak to each other or if somebody says something that they know I'm not okay with them saying, they're like, that's inappropriate. That's politically incorrect, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I just want to make sure that you know how important it is for you to say it. And when you hear others say it now, you understand where I'm coming from, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it's, a revolving, it's a revolving experience that hopefully will never stop either because I always worry if I stop communicating with them or if they stop communicating with me, where are they going next? You know, um, right. so, so that's where I'm at. You know, like, where are they going? What's happening? You know, because they're going somewhere. <laughs> they need to release that outlet somewhere. They do, they do especially after the pandemic. Um, they are still learning, you know, how mm-hmm. to um, integrate. I teach high school. I teach freshmen specifically. A lot of people think that I'm something's wrong with me. And, you know, because they're like, why? And I say, I mean, where better to get them than, you know, at this epic moment of their life and high school um, is so important in their lives, you know, when it comes to academics and they're just, they're just so new and naive to everything. You know, it's different when you're in middle school, they're still kind of holding your hand through the process. And then you go to high school when you're with 2000, 3000 other kids, it's like, where am I going? You know, so I don't mind being the hub you know, but I just want to make sure that I'm prepared for it. So, yeah, (laughs) no, I'm same. Like my kids started very early on in this. I had them in first grade early, very early on in second grade. They started talking about crushes and I know very early on in second grade. And, you know, they, they were like whispering in between uh, classes and I was trying to teach them and they were just like, "Eh," you know, the whole time passing notes. And I was like, okay, I need to stop this. But I wanted to make sure that it was like, not in the sense of like, this is not okay. And I told them, I was like, 
I'm not saying don't talk about it. And I'm not saying don't tell me because I want to know, right? you know, but don't do it while we're learning. Do it in recess, during lunch, during breaks, right? Like those are all okay times. And I wanted them to know that like, I am not going to be the one to be like, that's not okay. I'm not going to be the one that's going to shame them. So if you need to come to me and talk to me about something, you know, like you can, that's what we're here for. And I know I didn't have that growing up. I couldn't talk to my parents. I couldn't talk to my teachers. I don't think I related to a teacher in that sense until high school. Right. And so creating this environment where students feel safe enough to communicate and to talk to an adult about things that they can't truly understand or that they're working through. I think that in itself is so powerful, right? Creating that in education and you said it best yourself, like reflection is such a huge part of it. And I think with reflection alone, right, if every teacher just sat down and reflected on how, what, like what difference are we making and how can we continue to improve? I think that in itself is so powerful. Right. And if we just make that small shift, every, if every educator just did that, we would be, or we were heading in the right direction. And I definitely think, you know, we're, we're starting to get there. I think education is not what it used to be and for good reason, right? Like we, we, we need to get out with the old, (laughs) we need to start bringing in the new. And I think that's also why we have this podcast because we want other educators to listen and to know that what they're doing is powerful, that there are, are small shifts that are manageable that can be done that there are other people that are struggling or that are other people that are like us. And just to have that sense of relativity to other educators. And I know I always leave, and I said this in the last episode too, I always leave like refreshed. I feel like I always learn something new. And as educators, we never stop learning either. So I think having this opportunity of like learning from someone And on the other side of the country, right? Like it's, there's so much power in that. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on here. Uh, I feel like sometimes it's almost like a therapy session. Like (laughs) it feels so good after. It definitely is. And I, 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 this is my first year teaching, by the way, I've, I've never taught before, but I, I feel like I've been doing this forever or I should have been doing this forever, but I commend teachers for what they do because it takes a lot of grit and a lot of passion to take on the responsibility of, you're not just educating them when it comes to academics, you're giving them life skills, you're coaching them, you're mentoring them. Um, And that's an all kinds of realms, like in all circumstances, you know, you do have to make hard decisions sometimes and, you know, and unfortunately report circumstances that they may be going through. And that's hard too. And you become um, attached. There's, there's an emotional component there that you cannot even, if you love what you do, you cannot say you don't have, you know? Um, And it's like, I was crying the other day on my way to work. <laughs> and I was like, why am I crying? I'm like, these are my, I tell my kids, I'm like, you're my day oneers because we all started together. I teach at a brand new high school and they're all freshmen and it's my first year teaching. So it's been newness from the beginning. And, and I tell them you're my day oneers, but 
the emotional component is going to be the hardest thing for me, you know, and even my kids that have not passed a class because I don't give breaks. I tell them, no, I'm not going to give you a freebie. You know, you're here to get an education at the end of the day. That's what the county pays me for. But even those kids, like I still can have conversations with them and still feel that emotional, you know, essence there. Like, okay, you know what? I have love for this kid. And we've talked about it. And I'm like, listen, go to summer school or, you know, um, next year you can try harder, you know, but, um, but the level of respect is established because of that, you know, that love and that, that grit that I have, you know, to not let them fail, you know, and, and I think it's wonderful to see that we have organizations like, like Latinx that, you know, understand the importance of acknowledging who we are, because teachers, are, to me, are lifesavers. Like, now that I'm in there, I'm like, oh my gosh, where's my cape? <laughs> it is that for the week. You know, it definitely isn't, you know what I mean? And I have my days too, when I pull up into my driveway and I'm just like crying because I'm sad, you know what I mean? Because of whatever happened, something happened with a child or whatever, um, you know, the circumstance may be, but, but I have days that I come in here and I'm just like a kid myself, like running in, you know, telling my family like, oh my God, you don't know what happened today at school, you know? So it definitely is something that has changed me. I am so much more appreciative of my teachers um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing um, new teachers um, come in in August in my school, and 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 I'm definitely looking forward to building relationships with the veteran teachers, and especially as a Latina um, in an environment uh, where uh, you don't see a huge presence of Latin teachers, even though we have a huge demographic of Latin families. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I am excited. I am excited for what um, the county is going to have. You know, and I'm excited excited to to bring newness to the county you know because a lot of people don't look like me (laughs) you know so I'm excited about that and and I just commend every teacher that gets up every day and puts their best foot best foot forward because it doesn't matter what's happening in my house when I'm in front of those kids it's all about them you know what I mean like we have to be able to say okay this is the hat that I have and um, and how am I conveying what's important to these kids right now and not worried about what I'm going through, even if my world is falling apart. And it takes a lot to do that, you know, so and sometimes Bustelo is not enough. So <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Yes. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on nearing the end of your first year teaching. You did it. You survived. No. <laughs> um, and secondly, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for stepping in there every day and trying to be the best for your kids and making a difference, right? As Latinos, that's the best we can do. Yes. And also thank you for taking the time and sharing your story. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you because I feel like there's such power in new teachers. I, I'm not that much older. Like I've only been in <laughs> education for five years, but I feel like someone fresh into the field like there's so much passion and love that it's like a refresher right so I I definitely look forward to continuing to learn from you and continue working with you and um yeah I think it's time for our our lightning round of questions to finish us off and I I think Maggie is gonna start (laughs) okay la primera es cuál es tu canción what is your song Okay, so for me, I am a huge Juan Luis Guerra fan, um, and my song is um, La Vini Rubina. <laughs> Great song. 
Great party song. (laughs) As a kid, I used to go to the Dominican Republic every summer. And uh, of course, you know, it was like the basic essentials, right? There was, we actually, my grandmother refused to upgrade anything because everything, even if it was broken, as long as it wasn't like inoperable, you know, she would still use it. So uh, it was like dirt floors, no power. Uh, You had to go get water from the river. Uh, but the most memorable thing for me, you know, after dealing with all that was just like seeing my grandmother dance that song at the end of the day while the sun was going down. So it will, it will always show me, me, you know, like that's who I am. That's my culture. That's my heritage. And I will always identify with who I am. I'm an American, but I'm a Latina first, you know, so that's, that's why I connect so closely with that song. I love that. That's so powerful. All right. Segunda pregunta es, ¿cuál es tu comida favorita? Mm. So, currently, <laughs> currently, I like um, uh, el arroz mexicano. I, the community that I live in is um, populated heavily by uh, the Mexican culture, which I absolutely love. I love quinceañeras. <laughs> I'm going to one today. <laughs> Yes, I'm like, yes. Uh, so el arroz mexicano me gusta bastante. I'm not really much of an eat meat eater. So I would say that and frijoles. That's fine, yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. Arroz, that frijoles, and tortillas. That's all you yes. need. That's all I grew up on. That's awesome. And the last one is more of a phrase. Termina la, la frase. Voy camino rumbo a... Voy a mi felicidad. <laughs> yes. Whatever that looks like. Para todo, para cada persona, la felicidad es algo diferente. Pero para mí, cuando yo me acuesto de noche, en la noche y yo le doy gracias a Dios, yo le digo, Dios, gracias por darme la oportunidad de cambiar el mundo. Gracias por la felicidad que me pones en el corazón, que yo puedo dárselo a mis estudiantes, a mi a la persona con quien yo trabajo, con quien yo hablo diariamente, y um, es mi camino a la felicidad, you know, like the hum in my life, you know, like that little beat that is like you feel good, it's inside, nobody can hear it. That that's where I want to go every single day, <laughs> and I want to teach that to my kids. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's the best way to end this. Love it. <laughs> And you definitely brought happiness here. So thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you again for coming with us today. Um, Really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you again for the opportunity. I am completely honored and humbled. (laughs) All right. So like always, this has been fun. Um, And remember that you can reach out with any questions, any comments, and anything else that you want to share. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on all platforms. We are on Instagram, on Twitter, and our personal favorite, TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) Um, We are also on our website, latinexchange.co. Like always, I'm Lucero and Maggie. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Hasta la próxima.